Lee, um, not to uh, skip the small talk, we'll do lots of small talking on this, <laughs> but me, me, you, uh, and Zach are going to get together for this episode of Occupational Therapy, which is my way into a series about some of the most interesting uh, careerists. If that, is that a word? Careerists? Sure. That's just a word. People who have been multi-hyphenates as well, and you fit that uh, to a T because your story is extremely interesting for many reasons because you went from probably the last amazing time in the music business to a brand new world of esports. And I don't want to do any too many spoiler alerts here, but let's just let Zach explain what we're going to do here. We're going to we're going to start with you at the beginning before we talk too much about where okay. you are. Okay, how's this? I, I'm my keyboard broke. I was trying to test my mic over here i don't know how it's you uh, sound good yeah you sound we're, good we're, we're covid quality production so we're this is as good as i think this is as good as cnn <laughs> pretty much right yeah lee that. nice to meet you man uh i'm a friend of jared's for a long time and as you may or may not know he's recently been uh you know relieved of his jingling duties and at one point he was the number one all-time jingle writer in the world and now he has a two-year no jingles uh, contract that he's just not allowed to compete with any of the guys making jingles out there. So this is a hot, tar, tough time to be to a guy known as Jingle Jared. Yep. So he's looking for a new career. And uh, as his therapist, you know, we've set up all these interviews with guys like yourself who have accomplished very cool things across the, you know, span of their lives. And um, especially we're really like talking to guys who are in like maybe a second phase of, you know, career. And that's in your case, what you're in fourth. And you're, you're, yeah, you're in your fourth. Wow. He's in the fourth. I'm, I'm, I'm in my fourth. Wow. Oh, two God, this could be the best interview ever. <laughs> I mean, two of them were both in music, but different, to- totally different, you know, gigs, right? Right. Well, yeah, so we're trying to see, like, yeah. if you say, yeah. hey, I ended up be- coming here, maybe Jared could have a career that takes him there at some point. So <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been telling him to get into ballet, but that's, I have a dream. <laughs> he has the apparently, body. Yeah, apparently it's a hard one, but... Take us back to the beginning. So take us back to your New York days, pre-music business, and give us the quick snapshot of where you were before you got into the music business. Yeah. So, I mean, before the music business, I was um, a lawyer. Uh, my, my first gig was um, at, the, uh, at the Brooklyn DA's office. Um, I actually, it was, it was actually a bad time. When I got out of law school, it was actually a really bad time for lawyers. It was a lot, there were a lot of lawyers. It was like, all of a sudden, like a big boon of lawyers. And so I didn't have a gig coming right out, so I took some time off or whatever, but I, I knew I was going to get a gig. And then while I was kind of doing some travels, uh, it was actually when I was in, I did basic training in the Israeli army. Um, it was in the middle of that that I got the offer um, to be a, an assistant DA. That's crazy. And what kind, was that a dangerous job? Just to, not to spend too much time there, but was that what they make it look like on the TV shows? Were you like in a gritty, yeah, down? I mean, yeah. Office? I mean, the, the answer is yeah. Like, uh, you know, put it this way. When I was doing it, Bed, Bedford Stuyvesant was, you know, was, you know, there, there were more, you know, hitmen than, than hipsters in, in Bed-Stuy, right? Like Bed-Stuy was a bad neighbor. The good old days. It's like shocking to me that it's been gentrified. But yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I interviewed plenty of murderers. I saw plenty of dead bodies and more, at least more than I ever thought that I would see. Um, so how do you even make your transition from dead bodies to 
to working with Kid Rock and Sugar Ray and and, <laughs> and Jason Flaw and all the people. Yeah. Where does that happen? When, when I when I went to the when I went to the music business, what I said was I just work with it with a different group of criminals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which was truer than I really thought, right? I mean, um, definitely no. You know, let's say the music business has tons of people on the fringe of legality. Um, maybe that's a polite way of saying it. Takashi is literally. I think he's over the fringe. Yeah, over the fringe. Oh yeah. Um. So so yeah. I mean, like I I, I kind of I decided to leave. Um, the DA's office and law and kind of talked my way into a record label. Um, and you weren't even in the sexy part of the label. You were doing like video game soundtracks or something wacky there. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I actually got some really good advice um, from Dan Hoffman. I don't know if you know Dan. Dan, mm. where is he now? Maybe Razor and Ty. Mm. Uh, oh, I know Dan. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it was Dan sat me down I talked to him for a couple of hours and really gave me some advice that I followed. Like I felt like he really, really listened to me. He told me to go be a product manager. And I started as a product manager. Um, they just, because I didn't know what I was doing um, and it was a job that you were supposed to know what you were doing. I mean, like really like I, I, I talked my way in and when I got there, I was like, Oh shit, this is why they didn't want to hire me. Cause I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> And so they gave me every like garbage project that they had, right? Like <laughs> for me, for me to, to, to learn on. Um, one of them, funny enough, was the first soundtrack ever to a video game. And what year is this? This is like 90. Oh uh, man, you're going you're gonna to date me terribly. It was like 97. Yeah, so ga- video games aren't even cool yet. This is the era where my mom said, literally, and thanks mom, stop playing video games it's not like you'll ever be able to make a living doing that. <laughs> For sure. I mean, it was, I mean, nobody cared about this project. Like that was, the, I mean, that, that was the, that was the story about every one of my projects. No one cared about them. Um, and so this was a perfect one. For nobody to, to to care, you know, to care about. And then, you know, and then finally, you know, I, I got some new projects um, that nobody cared about. Um you know, and, um, and, uh, you know, I, I had, I had asked for, for one of them, which was Kid Rock, you know, which was, <laughs> Flom actually played me the demo when I was, when I was kind of new, um, Flom played me the demo. I kind of flipped out and I sheepishly went into my, my boss's office, um, and asked if it could be reassigned to me. And much to my surprise, she, it took her three seconds to be like, oh yeah, sure. No problem. And that was before, that was Kid Rock's like third album, like everything he had put out had bombed, right? And then all of a sudden... It was actually his fourth album. Okay. It, was his, it was his fourth album, three of them, he, he kind of had three bombs in a row. Um, and, um, and look, I, I was naive at the time. I thought, well, if you sign an act and you're going to put the record out, it must mean that you're gonna, the label's going to do work on them. Yeah. That was... Uh, <laughs> I found out the hard way that that is not the way the world works. Um, and Kid Rock was put into something that we, we called the, the kind of, you know, the, 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 the proletariat at Atlantic referred to as the artist protection program, um, which was once you went in it, nobody heard from you. Nobody saw you, nobody, you know, like, like, I mean, that's how much of a thing it was. It was referred to as the artist protection program. 
at Atlantic. Wow. Um, and, and, I, and I really, I just was naive and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to work on this thing. And, you know, um, you know, look, I, I almost got fired a lot back in those days because I, uh, I just didn't understand po- the politics of the, I, I really didn't understand anything. I just wanted to, to get things done, you know? So at the same time, you said that, you know, you all of a sudden became a friend to him and there was some, uh, big break moment around MTV and, you know, shooting his shot around Carson Daly and spring break. What happened there? Um, so as one of the things that I was working on that I was not supposed to work on, actually, funny enough, actually it's, it's that road rash 3d soundtrack. So like (laughs) they just, and this is why I got into so much trouble. Like nobody wanted to work on it, but I thought, okay, I have this thing, you know, um, you know, um, EA Sports was—it was actually, I think, called Electronic Arts back back then. Um, they were inve- they were spending a million dollars on MTV, and so I'm like, all right, why don't we go in together? You holding that big check of yours, and yeah. let's figure out a promotion to do for this album. Like, seems logical to me. Mm-hmm. I can get nobody interested in, in in working on it. Nobody would go to. They literally wouldn't even go with me to MTV to take the meeting. And so I was naive and went on my own, which I guess you're not supposed to do. Um, and we, we put together this awesome thing at the beach house and we booked, um, I booked Sugar Ray for like one week of show. They were going to be like the house band and Siv, this other band of mine that no one gave a shit about this punk band that I had. <laughs> also, I got it like, you know, after the first single stiff, they gave me the project. Like that's what I got it. Lee's perfect for this. Oh yeah, like he'll, you know, like we don't give a shit about this. Give it to Lee. Literally, that's <laughs> that's what I think that happened in there. And um, and so I had this MTV thing. We had this thing booked. So I was going up there, and I was in the green room with Carson Daly, who was just talking to me and was like, "Hey, you know, he knew I was at the label. He's like, you, are you listening to anything good? Anything good happening?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you want to hear some shit?" And I was like, "I went. I remember. I went to my rental car, got the cassette." the promo cassette that I had been listening to on the drive-in. And I, and I played him um, two songs. I played him Ba With The Ba and Cowboy. Yeah. Those are two good ones to play. Yeah. yeah you didn't start ones. with Bull God? <laughs> I like Bull God. I <laughs> yeah, Bull God was good, too. No, but those were, that's where the heat was. Um, <laughs> and he, like, really responded. So I gave him the, the cassette. And then I was coming back the week later for Sugar Ray. Like that was the week I had Siv there and I was coming back the week. Like, it was just like one day they shot five shows and mm-hmm. Kid Rock was in town. And I was like, listen, I played the thing for Carson. He flipped out. I'm like, just come with me to the beach house. Like, who knows? You'll meet him. You would. I, it was like really just kind of random. Uh, I remember the night before there was this huge party that Cosmopolitan threw because Mark McGrath was on the cover of Cosmopolitan. So that it was like a Oh, big, the 90s. I miss yeah, the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> and so... It was a huge party. Kid Rock didn't sleep all night, of course. Um, we, were, we were also, I remember, because the way drive, I picked him up in my rental car. We drove down to the beach in the Jersey Shore, and we were um, commiserating about how Mark had taken Carmen uh, Electra home <laughs> after the party. And we kind <laughs> Rodman of on this podcast yeah. 30 yeah, yeah. years later. I mean, we got this sorry, Mark. I mean, damn. Sorry, Rodman. Blown. I might have just blown his spot up. Um, <laughs> oh, my bad. 
Um, <laughs> um, and so, and for some reason, also, I told him to bring his records, which also I don't know why. Yeah, and, yeah. And so, because everybody had been partying that night, you know, we were supposed to shoot five shows. Um, mm-hmm. Mark flaked after the second show. Like, he literally went home. He's and, like, I'm done. And, yeah, and was just like, literally went home. And I got the band to do one more episode by themselves without Mark. And then they mm-hmm. split. And then I was like, oh, my God. And then, I'm, you know, I don't know. I, I'd never worked with MTV before. And, if, and like I said, nobody from Atlantic came down with me. So I really didn't know what I was doing. And they were like, they're in, in a panic. And I was like, I was like, hey, I said, I got a great idea. I got this guy. He's amazing. He brought his records. He could DJ for the last two shows. I'm like, Carson loves him. It was literally like on set. I'm like, Carson, wow. don't you love him? And Carson was like, yeah, the guy's awesome. I'm like, he's here. I'm like, and he brought his record. <laughs> and that was like, the, that, was the first, yeah, that was the first MTV uh, appearance that. Uh, I watched that live. Out. In my yeah, like college were, apartment, I watched that. Yep, hundred percent. I remember those. That's when MTV was like destination programming. So yeah. many, many years just to get to the good stuff. You were a you were label man. You obviously go on to some high powered positions. Give us the quick highlights of what happens next before the management gig. Um, well, I mean, look, if you want to just jump into it, I, I eventually um, I went from Atlantic Records to Lava Records. There's a big saga involving actually Kid Rock and Ahmed Erdogan about mm-hmm. that. Um, that's that's a, a probably too long a story for now. Um, ended up go, um, eventually leaving Lava to go run Virgin Records with Jason Flom. Um, and then Virgin and Capitol Records merged and I became president of Capitol Records. And that was like, um, I don't know, that was like in the, you know, original, you know, that, that, the de-evolution of the record business at that point. Yeah. And I saw the beginning of when EMI started falling apart and, um, and terra firma lost EMI to the bank, right. You know, um, you know, Citibank literally foreclosed on the record label and then they wow. lost it. And then, yes, I saw, I saw the beginning of that when those guys showed up and we knew that they, we knew the place was in trouble. Those so guys- the writing, the, the writing was on the wall that, you know, I think that that's one part of survival in anyone's career, knowing when to get out of a burning building. So you go to the better side of the music. No to hold them, no one to fold them. Just like, no one like Kenny, just, rest just in like peace. Just like the late, great Kenny Rogers would say. And, and you decided to get into management and how does that work? How do, do they, is that something that you spoke to Kid Rock about and you're like, look, we're going to, no, you had I, other, this was, I, I didn't, when I got into management, this was Kid Rock had his manager and they were great. And so we actually for that period at Virgin and Capital, I, re, I wasn't working with him. Right. I mean, we had still kept in touch and I went to shows and, you know, but, um, I mean, I was working with a whole new crop of artists and, you know, and then built up, you know, some really great relationships there, like with Jared Leto, you know, when we broke 30 Seconds to Mars and, you know, and we revitalized Korn's career and um, got to work with Lenny Kravitz and, you know, we broke Katy Perry. Like, we, you know, that was, we had a, we had a badass run um, between Virgin and, and, and Capital. Um, and, and unfortunately, the terra firma guys just screwed up the late, you know, the corporate side. How many years uh, 
into management? Like what were your, um, what were the next steps? You were part of a firm and then you moved on and did your own thing. Yeah. So I started uh, prospect park with Jeff Quatnitz. Um, oh, I know Jeff. Yeah. Um, you know, we had, we had a lot of success. I actually didn't know him before I, before, um, working at Virgin and I actually got to know him through those two projects, right? Through breaking 30 seconds to Mars and revitalizing corn. You know, he was at, he was at the, the, the center of both of those. And he was like the mega manager of the moment. You oh, guys, yeah. like I mean, the firm the was the, firm, a, right? the biggest management company in the world. Yeah. Um, and that was the original conversation was actually coming in as the third partner in the mm-hmm. firm with him and Rick Yorn. Um, and then when, when the firm sort of imploded, you know, he and I started Prospect Park and we had, you know, we had a, a, a short lived partnership about, about 18 months in the partnership. And then I, I went and just started my own shop myself. Um, so fat we're, and by the way, most people probably are, who are listening to this podcast know you now from, uh, what you're doing in the gaming space with FaZe and you know, I've seen how people react in front of rock stars, but I've also seen Lee walk out of Craig's one night and some kid being like, can I take a picture with you? Because he's wearing his FaZe Clan chain. I'm like, who's he talking to? And and you're, and you're Lee's like, no, Jared, you don't understand. Like, this culture, this is a few months ago, maybe even last year. You're, you're like, this is this is some transformative stuff. So tell me the story about just, you, you, you know, many, many successful years in uh, management. And you told me the story about that you burn the ship, so to speak, and you said, I'm not turning back, and this is the future. Because that, that to me, is the bravest thing you can do by not taking half measures and going all in on something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I risk gets easier if, if you have some success under your belt, right? So I feel like the, 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 the much harder move really was moving from law to music where it was like, you know, it, it was hard to explain. It was, you know, so it's, it's like you sort of get emboldened. I can imagine your parents. So like you went to law school and now you want the rock and roll <laughs> industry. What's wrong with you? Yeah. I mean, for, <laughs> for sure. And really the, the intermediary job that I had between the DA's office and the record label was totally not describable. Like it would take <laughs> me 10 minutes. I mean, it was, I remember my grandmother telling me, that she just continued to tell people that I worked at the DA's office. Yeah. I didn't even explain what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and, yep. and so, yeah, so look, the, the, one of the benefits of being a manager is, you know, being a manager is really entrepreneurial, right? Um, and it, it's, a, it's also a tough transition from a record label, especially running a record label, because, you know, running, you know, being president of Capitol Records, I've got an army of people behind me doing a lot of work. And when you become a manager, there is no army. You, you are the army. And, and so there's also, there's a lot, there's a lot to learn that way. And one, one of the luxuries is you get to be entrepreneurial and you get to take on projects that you think are fulfilling, right? There's no, especially when you have your own business, um, you know, management was a key part of it. And, um, but you're able to take some other shots and, you know, and one of those shots was gaming. There was, you know, somebody that worked for me that was really trying to develop his career and which is hard at a very small, you know, at a small management company, like there's no upward mobility. Right. So like, you know, I, I kind of, I, I remember when I had the conversation about the music business, really the, the entertainment business. And my thing to him was like, look, 
I'm like, let me explain the dirty secret about the entertainment business. I'm like, all of the money, I'm like, literally all of the money is made by a very small group of people. Mm -hmm. You want to get into that small group of people, you have to do something that the way I described it was pulling rabbits out of hats. You have to figure out what's your thing that is hard to, re- hard to emulate, hard to replace. And, you know, and so I think I got his wheels turning. He eventually came back to me. He showed me an article about eSports and about the audience of eSports and the size of it. And at that point, really, I, I, you know, I hadn't really heard about eSports. Um, and I thought, man, if there's something that's this big that I've never heard about, I'm like, this is worth exploration. And, um, and, you know, WME was involved in, you know, they had E-League as a, as a venture with, um, with Turner. And so I called up Mark Geiger, who runs, you know, music and digital at at WME. And I said, Hey, can you introduce me to your guys? And, uh, and eventually, you know, probably about six months later, they ended up introducing me to the FaZe Clan guys. And what's interesting about FaZe Clan, because I got a, a, a quick education saying with Lee last year, You've described them as a lifestyle brand, um, and you've also given me the differentiation between you know where they fit in the world of esports and gaming as opposed to the other brands. And for anyone who's listening, could you break it down? Because some of these people probably have never listening to this podcast will have never even heard you know or have as much knowledge as we do about esports and gaming. Yeah. So probably the first distinction that I'll, that I'll make is. Um, and and to, to sort of re, you know remedy a, a fallacy that a lot of people have is gaming is not synonymous with esports and, and vice versa right esports is a segment of gaming it's the it's the professional competitive side of gaming and and so gaming is much much broader gaming includes I mean really gaming includes you know you know, your mom playing Candy Crush, right? Like yeah. gaming on that scale is like there, there are a lot more gamers than we actually give it credit for, right? We're, you know, but we tend to talk about kind of the, the you know, the younger, you know, the younger culture that are, that are, you know, doing games that are not just the social games. And I think what's, what's amazing about, about that culture is, you know, for, it's it, gaming culture has been evolving for a long time, you know, for, for two decades, but it's really been siloed because there's been this stereotype around what a gamer is and who a gamer mm-hmm. is. Right. And that's been something that from the traditional space, the traditional media as has been, you know, that's been a 20 year rap, right. That's been a, you know, that's been since, you know, since, you know, I was a kid playing video games, right? That's like, if you were a gamer, if you were a hardcore gamer, you were kind of considered, you know, nerd in your parents' basement, right? Like that vibe. Mm-hmm. And, and so in a siloed way, this, ga- this gaming community was getting richer and more fulfilling and, and, and not living up to that stereotype. And also gaming itself is actually a very social and socially dynamic um, um, you know, uh, uh, thing to do to, to, to you know, think, think, think to spend your time on. And yeah. as there was connectivity and, and phase clan is even a testament to that, right? The founders met online, 
founders became friends virtually before they met in person. And, and so because there was that connectivity, there was really a rich tapestry, you know, in, in the gaming community, but that wasn't accepted by kind of by, by traditional media. And, and so FaZe Clan, I think, was, was, was leading that charge, right? FaZe Clan, in many ways, there were these kids that were unapologetic about being gamers. And the other thing that these guys did was start to put the camera on themselves. These guys also started the vlogging culture. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, if you think about this siloed community that from the traditional media space is undervalued, underappreciated, slagged in many ways. And here you have these kids that put a camera on their face and are, and are unabashedly proud of, what they, of, of who they are as gamers. And I think that that really resonated with the community. So th this is 10 years. This is the 10th year of FaZe Clan. How many uh, followers, uh, you know, can you, how many impressions are they making on a monthly basis uh, as, a, as a whole collective, as the entire FaZe Clan brand? I mean, we do in the ballpark of 500 million views a month across all of our, across all of our channels. Um, and what's the biggest one? I mean, the, the biggest individual channel is probably FaZe Rug, who's got 15 million subscribers on his YouTube channel, right? Even Dwarf's, you know, FaZe Clan, we've got 8 million, but it's interesting. I mean, it, you know, we've only recently been really investing in our phase main channel. It, it really hadn't been invested in until recently. And so, you know, we, that we've seen that growing dramatically, but rug is on fire. Rug has, has a very, very passionate fan base. Mm -hmm. and, I and I remember, remember us going, going and, you know, you guys pitching Pepsi and showing product drops in New York city and, you know, in the room, you described it as early days of hip hop or even skateboarding culture meets something else. Like, it, it, are you still seeing that to be true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, this fan base is so passionate. They're passionate about gaming and they're passionate about FaZe Clan. You know, the, the FaZe Clan really sits in a unique place in all of gaming. And, you know, it's hard to, to even think of, um, of other gaming orgs as competitors Outside of the esports side, you know, on the esports side, we we undoubtedly have some terrific competitors. But really, on the lifestyle side, it's really Phase Clan that's that's blazed this this path of defining what gaming lifestyle is. What does that aspirational lifestyle look like? And and as a result, you know, we've become a magnet for these other celebrities who love gaming. Right, gaming is now sitting at this intersection, it's so incredible that gaming is, is at the intersection um, between all other entertainment industries. And I would even use entertainment broadly to include sports and fashion. And, and what, what's, what's interesting, right, it, you know, is if you look at all of the entertainment verticals, right? And again, think about it broadly to include sports and fashion, right? So you've got film, television, music, sports, fact, you know, sports, fashion in one, th in one thing. And I think gaming is another vertical that sits, that lives within it in its own, in its own category. It, it, you can't define it by putting it into the others. And what's interesting is there's really only two that, that intersect all of them. 
and that's music and gaming. And there's actually hmm. a lot of similarities hmm. in terms of in, in terms of the business side of it. I, I actually find music being you know having given me really the perfect toolkit to 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 lead this company. Yeah, it's and and you know obviously we don't have uh, you know a ton of more time now, but like uh, I wanted to just have you touch on a few things. So it seems like you know since the time that I've known you, you've gone all in on this uh, world of of esports and gaming. I do agree with you. I see it as being the next big wh- whether it's like the next big fashion business, the next big film business, the next music. It's it kind of has all those rolled into one. It's yeah. just happening so quickly now that you're playing catch up to figure out where does Disney fit into this, where does Yves Saint Laurent fit into this, where does Champion, where does Nike, where does Pepsi. So I, it's almost like you. It's like last year was like one of those money machines blowing everywhere, and you're trying to grab the dollars <laughs> and make it make sense. And things must have you know right now settled in a little bit. You know, I found that this COVID moment has given me time to even think about how to just reformat the important parts of my new business. Obviously, you know, we're talking about my career, but right today, my career is podcasting entrepreneur, but how has COVID affected your business or made you think about the business in a different way? Cause this, you know, to some people, this down moment could also be a prime opportunity to continue to strike and build. So, you know, I think fortunately for us, um, we haven't had that break for me to have lots of time to sort of reimagine our place in the world. Um, you know, so, but, but in, in, in the alternative, what we, what we have the ability for is actually to move further ahead. And if, you know, if this were, you know, a, a race, which you know, look, all of entertainment is a race. It's a race to capture attention. Right. We, we, that's the thing we're all fighting for. Everybody is ultimately fighting for, for, for people's attention to spend time. Right. And there's 24 hours in a day matched by that's how right. many people in the world. Yeah. And so, you know, what's happened is the rest of the sports and entertainment businesses have essentially stopped or mostly stopped. And we aren't. Mm. And so... In fact, a lot of pro athletes are spending time in your den now. Like, we're talking with JaVale McGee. Hey, JaVale, what are you doing? Well, I'm training for basketball and I'm playing uh, Fortnite or, or whatever it is right now, Call and, of Duty. And, and we've, you know, we've done some tournaments. We did some, some COVID charity tournaments with a lot of celebrities, with, you know, understanding that both our audience is home and a lot of our, you know, a lot of people in our orbit are home looking for something to do. So... I, you know, I think if anything, there's been some pressure, it, 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 not coming from anywhere else except internally, to drive further, to demonstrate what we can do, because we actually have a disproportionate amount of attention right now, mm-hmm. because we're one of the few things in sports and entertainment that's, that's, still, that's still moving. And I would imagine the brands are probably parking some dollars knowing that right now um, into your world. Yeah, for, I mean, fortunately, yes, while I think a lot of dollars have dried up, but more opportunities have dried up as well. And so we still, we're, we're still able to deliver content, deliver our audience, and, 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 and I think it's given us an ability to sort of demonstrate that to a lot of people, a lot of new people. I mean, we're closing deals, we're closing new deals during this time. 
um, and deals in our pipeline were also closing, right? So I think it's been important for us to demonstrate that, you know, trains are still running over here at Phase Clan. Great. Wow. And Amazing. so, you know, this is, uh, you know, pretty much all the time that we, that we have today. But I will say, sitting with Lee, you know, over the last year as I was going through a transition to my career and hearing all the great stories from you, you certainly, you know, as much as Zach is my occupational therapist, I owe a great deal to you about like the focus that it retook to, you know, I really took that to heart when you said, you know, you can't be half into one thing and, and half into another thing. You got to at some point burn the ships and get on a new island and go, well, those, there's no way back now. And, you know, me sort of shedding the jingle Jared of it all. I know that we're joking about me finding a new occupation. That's my big lesson from you is that you're an all in kind of guy. It's not like you jumped into the music business and dabbled, then went back to being, you know, a DA, which would have been cool, by the way. Um, yeah, but it was a cool you, job. You, I will say that was a cool job. That's a show. It's about a corrupt DA protecting rappers on the street called something. Well, what's the title we'll of that work show, on Zach? That. Music justice. I don't know. There you I go. I don't know. But, uh, um, and then, by the way, totally just parallel to this, we spoke to the original esports legend. We spoke to Fred Savage, star of The Wizard, who rocked that power. The Wizard. The we, wow. we forgot to mention a Fred Savage on the call that we were going to talk uh, you know, to, to Lee. And I wonder if so he has bummed. any thoughts. Yeah, we forgot. <laughs> isn't he, isn't he phase savage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. Lee. Uh, so Zach, any parting thoughts on my career? I have a great, I, I mean, I look, I, I don't know if you could go all in on, a, you know, being a CEO of a gaming team and company and brand and everything, but I think you could certainly do an audio up podcast in the phase world, you know, I think that's something we could do. I just think once again, Jared, as your occupational therapist, you are you are in different places a, a lot. So if you were just going to focus on the gaming side of things, you definitely could do it. But I think mm-hmm. right now you're trying to uh, establish yourself. Uh, but maybe down the line there could be phase phase Jared. Great, and we by the <laughs> way we got the hot, jingle. We got phase jingle. The, oh, dude, I would love my kids would love that. I have the sweatshirt and everything, but um. Uh, my, we got the hot scoop today. We found out that Carmen Electra and Mark McGrath may or may not have hooked up, and we learned a whole lot more. <laughs> I can't believe I blew up Mark's spot. <laughs> His wife my... right now is after all <laughs> these years. I knew it. You <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> 89. <laughs> 19. Uh, for years on date night, they've been fighting about that one. I, ne- I never slept with I'm not going to push it any further. <laughs> I have one question just to go way back to this podcast. Did you? Were you born in Israel? Is that why you had to go to the Israeli army? No, no, I, I just did it. I, I was, after law school, I kind of wanted, c- considering I didn't have a job, I just wanted a different challenge. I wanted like a physical challenge. Yeah. Um, dude, that's so that's I, like I the hardcore. for a program. Yeah. It's like By the way, Lee is program. like Benjamin Buttons. He's like aging in reverse. He's like, <laughs> literally, dude, you, don't, you wouldn't even be able to guess his age, but it, it's not what you're seeing on the screen there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. good. I want to do the Israeli army. That'll get me in shape. All right. On that note, shalom, and uh, (laughs) thanks for being on Occupational Therapy. You're the man. Right on, guys. Thanks. Nice to meet you. All right. Bye. Bye.